At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. As we step into the new year, we're turning to the book of James for our message series, Live the Truth. In a culture preaching the power of whatever feels right to you, it's time to set aside positive vibes for a truth you can stand on. Join us as we answer James' call to reject the latest feel-good message for a mature faith. We'll be in James today, if you want to turn to James chapter 1. Before we do, I just want to say thank you. I want to say thank you because, uh, man, you are, uh, just, just honestly, as a pastor, you're a church that is led easily. And I say that in a very positive way. Uh, man, I was just blown away last week as we entered into a time of prayer and fasting for a week, as we presented the option for you to come and just meet in our building in a new room that uh, we set aside for prayer. And in one week, for 40 hours, you guys signed up, and there was someone in that room for 40 hours this last week just praying over your family, praying over you, praying over our church. And if you get a moment as you leave, just step in there. It's a prayer wall, and there's a lot of different people that have thrown their heart on the wall and their prayers. And uh, we just thank you uh, for the blood, sweat, and tears that uh, you put in that room. I'm joking because in the preparation, Alex almost cut his finger off uh, preparing uh, that room for all of us. Um, but honestly, it was pretty powerful. And on Friday night, we were down at the Troy campus, a powerful night of just praying and worshiping together as one church. It was great. We're going to be in um, James 1, as I said. We started a new series last week. Pastor Alex opened up, starting the series out, Living Faith, as um, the book of James is one of the most practical books in all of the scriptures, but it's a book about not just faith, but living faith, that we actually live these uh, things out. And Today's going to be no different. As we look at wisdom, I was reminded, um, uh, anybody remi- been reminded in the last, I don't know, uh, or just daily, how dependent, dependent you are on this little device? I am, uh, I am learning more and more how overwhelmingly dependent I am on my phone. If I lost my phone, I'd be like, oh my word, what am I going to do? Uh, what, how am I going to function? Because so much of your life has lived out on it. I was reminded this summer uh, during sabbatical, I told you guys, we took a camping trip. And, and I was reminded how dependent I am on this phone because I mapped out where we were going to go for three and a half weeks and every stay we were going to stop at, where we were going to go camping, what national park we were going to. But I honestly didn't even think how I was going to get there until we pulled out of the driveway. And I literally said, hey, Siri, take me here. And I hope I didn't just wake up a bunch of your phones just now. But like <laughs> literally just said, hey, Siri, take me here. And then I literally just trusted in the wisdom of my phone to take me exactly where I needed to go. Turn right, go here, avoid traffic there. There's an accident here. And I just, just full dependence, looked at the screen and followed exactly where it called me to go. I didn't have to think about it. There was a little device that, that allowed me to go exactly where I needed to go. Anybody, anybody think back about the days or remember the days of MapQuest? Anybody? So good days. So funny. I said this this morning afterwards. Someone came up to me in the lower lobby, and they're like, did you know the, the, the previous VP of MapQuest was in the building this morning? I was like, he's like, you said everything positive. It was totally fine. It's good. But it's so crazy. I'm like, what? But you remember the days. I remember my freshman year of college. I went. I didn't know how to get to Florida to school, so I went on to MapQuest. I put in my address. I put in where I was going, and it printed me out 30 pieces of paper. <laughs> you remember what paper is? And then you followed MapQuest, and you turned left and right, and the only problem is it didn't update on the fly, like, hey, there's, a traf- there's traffic, there's an accident, but it got you from point A to point B. It gave you wisdom for where to go and what not to go. And I, 
I honestly think that many times we wish that there was a little app that we could put in what's going on in life and what problems we're having and how uh, life has been going and where I want to get and how I need to do this. And if I put in all the credentials, it will spit me out a turn-by-turn directions in life on how to get there and the good practical wisdom on how to get there. But unfortunately, that's not the way it is, right? Life is much different. It's not so simple as just putting in your life credentials and what's happening in life and it spits you on a plan. There's something much greater than that. There's much more dependence than that on the wisdom of God, but not just a one-time revelation of wisdom of God, but a relational, day-to-day operational wisdom in your life. And when we look at James today, starting in verse 5, this is exactly what we see today, is how our mature or how our faith, a mature faith, actually seeks God's wisdom. And already we have some application built in there. God's wisdom, not wisdom of the world, not wisdom of your neighbor, not wisdom of your friend, but, not that those things are bad, but the wisdom of God. Why? There's a theological term called omniscience. You know what that means? That God is omniscient, that God knows everything, that all of the wisdom of the world is God's because he knows all, and we can go to him for wisdom. love the way Isaiah 40 puts it. Isaiah 40 and verse 12 says, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span and closed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? Who has measured the spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows him his counsel? Whom Whom did he consult and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? And the answer to the question is built into the text. It's silence. It's literally no one. Like, no one taught God anything. God didn't learn understanding. God already knows everything. He created everything. And so it's very easy for us to go to God for wisdom. And this amazing thing that we have in the Word of God. And today, when it comes to direction in life, as we're living, how to navigate confusing, overwhelming world. Anybody look at the world and think it's a confusing, overwhelming world that's hard to navigate in today's times? If not, come pray for me. I need what you got. But in the world we're living in, and you can say that in any generation, but where we're living, and we deeply and profoundly need the wisdom of God. And as we see today, faith that is mature seeks God's wisdom as we look. And so let's just look in, in verse 5 as we see how to receive the wisdom of God. In, in James chapter 1, verse 5, this is what it says. If any of you lacks wisdom, so just pause right there. Anybody here lack wisdom? Hello? Everyone needs to raise their hand, okay? Like, you don't have to. You can do it mentally. If that's the way you roll, it's fine. But everyone here needs wisdom. If you do, let them ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. And so how do we receive wisdom? We see wisdom is received upon us actually asking for it. Like we actually go to God and ask for wisdom. So in in the complex, overwhelming circumstances we're living, in the middle of the circumstances that you and I walk through, if you lack wisdom, God is a God who knows and will respond to us actually asking. I love later on in chapter 4 and verse 2, it says you have not because you ask not. Maybe there's some people in the room that need wisdom, and you're not ha- you don't have it. You're not receiving it because you're not actually seeking it. You're not seeking the wisdom 
of God, but I love the posture of God. And I was talking to someone after the first service about this. That oftentimes, God, Satan brings guilt and God brings grace. I love the way he, he says it here. He says, man, if you, if you lack wisdom, God is a God who gives it generously without reproach. That when you ask of God wisdom, when you seek God, you'll find it. You won't just find wisdom, you'll find wisdom generously. It's like an overflow of wisdom. And on top of that, he gives it without reproach. Everyone in this room knows somebody who's generous, but then later holds it over your head. Like, yeah, okay, I guess I'll help you. And then every moment after that, they bring it up. They find little ways to bring it up. Do you remember that time? Or I helped you last time? God's not a God like that. Man, when we need wisdom, God is a God who meets us generously, but also does it without reproach. I just, I love that about God. And when we ask, we go to him and we seek what we need. I wonder why it is that way that he says, if you ask, you'll receive. Do you know what I'm that? Why isn't it that like, when I become a follower of Jesus, immediately upon receiving the Spirit, I'm imputed with all of the wisdom of God? Like, I don't have to worry about anything. I'm just good. I go through life, and I know where to turn. I pulled up, hey, Siri, I have it on my phone, and I'm just going through life. It's no big deal. Why isn't it like that? I think a number of reasons. I think one of the major ones is it's about a relationship with the Lord. When I have to go to the Lord and ask, it shows need. It shows dependence. Can I tell you there's built-in application for you there? If you're never going to the Lord asking for wisdom, you don't need the Lord. Now, that's pretty heavy, but that's also reality. If I'm never asking of the Lord, I have no need for the Lord. I love the way other people write. I just read what they write so I can sound or, 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 or like knowledgeable, but I, I love the way some people write. It's just so profound. I love one writer wrote this. He says this about this text. Prayer is a means of fellowship with our Heavenly Father. And Jesus teaches that prayer is like a child going to his earthly father. In Matthew uh, 6, of the Sermon on our Father with our, which art in heaven, right? Jesus teaches us that we're like a child going to our earthly father. The child wants something, and the father is eager to give it. But the father does not give until the child asks. I mean, anyone who's a father or mother understands this dynamic, right? We want to give good things to our children, but even more, we want to have a good relationship with our children, and our Heavenly Father wants the same. He, wants not, he, he does not want to be like a machine that just dispenses goods, but he wants to be a real father, a person, a father with us. God isn't in the business of wanting to be a genie in the bottle for his followers. He's not wanting to be a vending machine. That, that When we're at our wit's end and we're at the end of our rope and we have nowhere else to turn and we need the wisdom of God, now I'm going to go to God, I'm going to put in my $1.50 of tithe, and I'm going to do a couple things for God, and God spits out wisdom for me. No, that's not, that, that's not the God we serve. It's quite the opposite. God wants this, this dependence on him in relationship, in a relationship where he experiences being a father and we experience being a child. It's pretty amazing. I've learned over the last while, um, I don't know about you, but I don't like to ask for help. Anybody else? But God does things, right? And like, I haven't been able to do a lot, so I have to ask people to help me. I hate every minute of it. But it's revealing to me that this is me. Like, I don't like to bother God with my needs until I really need him. 
But it's funny how God says that we have to become like a child to enter the kingdom. They're like, my kids, there's a lot of things that they know they can't do, and they come to mom and dad, and like, mom, can you do this? Can you do this? And they come to us with the childlike heart because they still have it. And somewhere along the line, we as people lose that in our relationship with God, that we go to God as our spiritual heavenly father because we are unable to, to follow the ways that we're supposed to in the world we're living without the wisdom of God. So let's ask you today, what is your normative first response when you're in need of wisdom? What's your normative first response? My first response when I pulled out of my driveway to go on our trip was to say, hey, Siri, take me here. Maybe your first response is, hey, friend, hey, counselor, hey, life coach, hey, spiritual or uh, uh, financial advisor. But is your first response in, in seasons and times, which to me is daily for me, needing the wisdom of God, is saying, hey, God, I need you. I need you to reveal to me where I'm supposed to go, what I'm supposed to do, how I'm supposed to live. And a lot of that starts in the word of God. You know what I'm really tired of hearing from people? And I say this nicely. Is that God doesn't speak. May we never be the people to say God doesn't speak while our Bible sits on a shelf somewhere and never opened. Can I tell you why many believers are not hearing the word of God, not hearing God speak, is because we're not reading the word of God. We're not in the word of God, where all practical wisdom, all wisdom we need is in the word of God. And Christians, I'll come back to this in a little while, but sit by, never cracking the word of God, and the only spiritual truth they're getting is the times they're in this building, which is statistically average, is twice a month. Can I tell you, you will die on the vine spiritually if the only time you're getting the word of God is in this, I was going to say four walls, but there's like 19 walls in here. <laughs> God is more than that. He wants to reveal himself in the word of God, in the wisdom of God. For you, how much time do you spend thinking about it, wrestling about it, and worrying about it before you ever go to God about it? You spend more time talking about it, worrying about it, being anxious about what God has for you or where you're going to go or how you're going to navigate this than you do praying about it, asking God to reveal wisdom to you. But this is, this is funny. How do we ask, as you keep tracking in the Word of God, how do you ask of God? Well, if you look in verse 6, is that it's implied, it says here that we ask that, have to ask in faith. We have to ask in faith. Faith, look what it says in verse 6. But let him ask in faith. That if we're going to go to God with asking for wisdom, we need to ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For the person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded, unstable in all of his ways. So God says when we ask, we need to request or ask God in faith, without doubting. I'll tell you right now, that, that, that's troublesome for me. Does anyone else doubt? Or am I the only one? I mean, this is really troublesome for me because it says, I mean, if I have to go to God and ask for wisdom, it says, I need to go to God and ask in faith without doubting. Well, man, the problem is I doubt. I struggle with, like, absolutely, like, having no, no measure of doubt in my prayer at all times, 100% of the time. It's interesting. As you get into this, this passage of Scripture has been abused for years and years 
with many people that will declare to you, that's why you have to be so careful what you watch on YouTube and the things you're consuming and reading theologically because there are people that go to this passage and say, man, you need to. God wants you to be healthy, wealthy, and everything else. And man, if you believe God and you pray it and you speak it into existence, you will have all those things. And then the problem is some of their followers are like, hey, what's the matter? I'm still poor, I'm not healthy, and I still have troubles in life. And I would say, hello, read your Bible. Every follower has that. But what happens is they come back and they say, that's not true. And then these people who are spiritually abusing their followers, they say, man, at the end of the day, you don't have enough faith. You're doubting. So that's why God's not fulfilling what you're asking, which is dead wrong. It's spiritual abuse and God hates it. You know what the difference is? A, if you're a good Bible reader, context is key. And, and, and James is talking about here specifically in the act of wisdom. That's number one. And then number two, when you come to the word doubt, if we just look at it for a moment, there's a couple ways that you can understand the word doubt here. The first one would be doubt is to be uncertain. What I wrestle with, sometimes I'm uncertain that God will do what I'm asking. Like I'm, I'm struggling with that. I'm a little uncertain. Then you'll have doubt. There's a second definition of is to distrust. There's a subtle difference here, but it's meaningful. It's super meaningful. Uncertainty is, a one, is one thing, but distrust is a much deeper, deeper level. James isn't saying that when you pray, a prayer of faith has no doubt in the sense that sometimes you're a little bit uncertain. No, at the fundamental level, this is what James is saying. James is saying that if you have a fundamental, deep-seated distrust in God, that is where you have a problem. A fundamental distrust, deep-seated distrust in God. He says those people are a double-minded individual, and that's why they're tossed back and forth, because I don't trust God. It's one thing to doubt, and it's hard for me to believe when I look into the future that God's going to give me wisdom on how to navigate a church in the world that we're living in today. I'll just be honest with you. But that doesn't mean I distrust God. I trust God. That's the only reason I actually have hope for the future, is that I actually trust God at the fundamental level. It's amazing when you look at it, a double-minded man, according to James, is a man who still relies on himself, still looks to the wisdom of the world, and then at the moment they need God, they come and say, but God, I've been looking to all these other areas for wisdom. I've been trusting in the ways of the world, and now I need you, Lord. And God looks back and says, you're a double-minded individual. Can I free you of the fact that God is looking down with a mean face because you have some uncertainty sometimes in your prayers? God knows he wrestles with doubt. There's disciples that wrestle with doubt. And God didn't, doubting Thomas, he didn't be like, get out of here, dude. You're so stupid. No, he said, let me show you. He has grace for that. There's a big difference between uncertainty and distrust in God our Savior. It's like this. I know for us, it's sometimes hard and practical, uh, impractical for us to request in faith what the wisdom of the world, or excuse me, the wisdom of God is because oftentimes we want to trust the wisdom of the world. I have a friend right now that's going through it. He's just walking through some, a pastoral friend that's walking through some hard stuff, and he's getting ripped in the public square. Some things that are very untrue are being said about him, being printed, being written about. And in my conversations with him, it's really hard for him not to be like, man, I just want to get online and rip people. I want to respond to all of it. But in our conversations... It's that's not the way that Jesus calls us. 
It says God will fight our battles. God will. There's this fascinating story. I don't have time to share it, but I'm going to anyways. In Exodus, Moses is there, and he's getting ripped for his leadership. And it says God heard. And then the middle, right after that, God comes down and rips these two a new one. Have I spoken to you? This is my man Moses. And in the middle of that is couched a verse that says, Moses, randomly in the middle of it, between people speaking ill of Moses and God defending Moses, says, Moses is the meekest man alive. You know what meekness is? Controlled strength. You know what meekness is? It's not worrying about fighting your battles. God's got your battles. I can control myself. I can allow the Lord to speak on my behalf. I don't want to trust the wisdom's world. The, world of the, the wisdom of the world is me wanting, if it was me, I'd be like, dude, I'm just going to tear these people a new one. But that's the, wisdom's, the world's wisdom. Rather, God has a better way that he calls us into. So, man, when you think about yourself, are you following more the wisdom of the world? Or are you following, or are you asking in faith the wisdom of God in every situation? And you might be like, man, uh, I think I am. Well, let me just get practical with us for a moment. Whether or not we're living a double-minded life. Because here's what happens. Oftentimes, we want to follow the ways of the world, the wisdom of the world, and areas of life until we're at the, our wit's end. And then we're like, man, God, I don't know what else to do. I need you. And God looks back and says, you're double-minded. Hear how it works. Maybe you're a business owner. Every area of your business, you follow the wisdom of the world. God is really not a part of it. You, you do whatever you need to to follow whatever best ways you can. You're not praying about where God is leading you, what God has for you in your business. How can he bless other people through your business? None of that. But then when you come to a business crisis, you're coming to God and say, God, I need your wisdom. And God looks back and says, you have a fundamental trust issue. You don't trust me with your business any other time. And now, like a genie in a bottle, you want to come with me at the end of the day and say, man, I need your wisdom. Same things in our marriage. We don't want to fundamentally trust God with our marriage and lay them before him. And God, are you leading me? Are you guiding me? How can we grow together as one? And we all wrestle with that. And then crises comes, and we come before the Lord. I'm like, Lord, I need your wisdom and, and, and how to be a better husband. I need your wisdom and how to be a, a, a better wife. And God looks back and like, what happened to the rest of your life in your marriage? You're double-minded. You don't trust me with your marriage. Maybe it's with our families and our children. Huge one. The God that needs to be chopped down in the American church, the largest one I believe is the God of mammon, money, stuff. And we do whatever we want with our money. And then when crises comes, come to God, and God, man, what do I do? How do I do this? And God looks back and I'm like, man, you haven't been generous with the church or outside the church, and you haven't followed my principles in scripture, and you haven't asked me what to do with my money because you're just borrowing it, and, and all the stuff you have, and then God looks back, you're a double-minded person. And I want to say this, God doesn't look back with disdain. This is what I process with someone after the service. Satan, in this moment, if you're feeling conviction at all, is Satan wants to come, you, come to you with, with, with guilt and say, man, you'll always be like that. You're dirty, you're broken, and God doesn't love you. That's why he's not hearing you, that, all that stuff. God comes back to you in the same scenario and uses conviction to say, no, I love you, I long for you, follow me, come back to me, and process with me. God isn't looking and being like, man, I'm not going to hear your prayers. They're not going through the roof because you don't trust me. Now, God always is a God that is looking for the prodigal to come home. He runs after you, meets you halfway. and says, man, it's a new day. How about you trust me with your whole life, your whole finances, your whole family, your whole marriage, your whole business for wisdom, not just in the day of crisis. 
And are we asking, are we actually going to God and saying, God, I need you more than a verse a day? And I'm not hating on anybody who does the verse a day thing. That's great. It's fantastic. But if that is the end all of your relationship with God, we need to move to the next step. Because God has an entire book called the Bible, which is his word, and it's wisdom for us to live life. Like when I say, hey, Siri, take me to this location. Help me avoid all the obstacles. Miss the accidents. Not go down this road. The scripture is literally a mentor for our lives, telling us where to go, how to live, to avoid the obstacles, the dangers, the brokenness, and follow the ultimate path of wisdom in following Jesus. But are we asking? Are we engaging? And then lastly, quickly, if we just jump down a number of verses that, that God's wisdom isn't, what do we do with it? What do you get when you get God's wisdom? Do you just harbor it and keep it and save it? We're going to jump down a number of verses. In verse 19, this is what it says. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. It's my life verse. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive the meekness, the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he is like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, which is the word of God, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed. And his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. You might be like, hey, why do we skip down all through all these verses? Well, I think it's here for us because we want to highlight the nature of wisdom according to James, which is that God's wisdom should result in action. I'm jumping down because this is the natural nature of the wisdom with which James is pushing in his book that he's not just saying wisdom is something we gain. It's not a contemplative thing. It's not just something we think about, but it actually demands wisdom. Of all of the verses, I believe there's 108 verses in James, and I don't have that memorized off the top of my head. I read it. There is countless commands, somewhere between 44 and 60 commands. And he's saying somewhere between. In the Greek, it's, it's hard to tell in some cases, but there's a lot of commands in 108 verses. Why? Because James is saying, don't just be a hearer. Do something with it. Take the wisdom that I've given you and actually move forward into actual practical obedience. Live life. Follow me. Right? He gets super practical in verses 19 and 20 through 21. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of a man does not produce the righteousness of God. In other words, he's saying, yeah, you're not, if you're not quick to hear, if you're not slow to speak and slow to anger, then you won't act righteously. He's saying this stuff matters. Then he, he goes on to say, put away rampant and filthy, wicked, unrighteous actions. And instead, receive the word of God on your behalf. And then right after that, I think it's by no accident, he says, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving ourselves. It's fascinating that he says, deceiving yourselves, as we, we, we have a need to receive the implanted word of God. Because here's the deal. This is what he's getting at. The gospel of the kingdom of God is not just about saving us 
from something. It's about saving us to something. That the gospel is not just about getting us to heaven, but it's about getting heaven to us or in us. That we'd actually live that way. That's why Jesus says in your prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And unfortunately, we have so many believers in the church, Big C Church, that we're told, yeah, come forward, believe in Jesus, receive Christ, get baptized, and attend church a couple times a month, and you're good. And never called people to apprentice under Jesus, live like Jesus, and conform to the ways of Jesus, living out the kingdom of God, moving to action. And James gives us a practical picture of what that looks like. For I believe many people in the big C church. He says, that's like you wake up in the morning. Anybody been there? You wake up, you're groggy, it's dark, you're trying to, uh, if you wake up after dark, it's fine, but you wake up and you go into the mirror and you look in the mirror. For me, it's different. I have crutches now, so I'm tripping on stuff, trying to get to the bathroom and wake up the whole house and get to the mirror and you're like, ugh, I take a shower. You try to put yourself together and I do my hair and go on with life and takes a little while. Now imagine for a moment, you just went and looked in the mirror and your face was all disheveled and your hair was all nasty and just came to church this morning. Imagine for a moment for me, I went in this morning and I got up and I looked in the mirror and there was a giant booger on my forehead. It's okay to... And I just came this morning like that. I'm going to sit in front of all of you and people online and no one is the practical friend just to come alongside me and be like, hey, Jim, there's a booger on your forehead. But I just came to church that way. I didn't care. I literally deceived myself. I just said, it's not there. It's not there. I promise you, it's not there. Now, that's funny, isn't it? Sure, it's okay to laugh in church. I just want to free you. We don't have to be serious all the time. Can I tell you that's exactly what many people are doing every day in life? We're looking into the Word of God, which shows us who we really are, shows us who God really is. And then we leave and we do nothing about it. We do that often on Sundays where we see what measure of a person we are. And I tell you, I think that there's two issues here. I think there's a major, major issue in the church today that I pray against often that most people, a lot of people, I shouldn't say most people, a lot of people in the church today are never actually seeing themselves except maybe on Sunday mornings a couple times a month because they're never actually opening the word of God for themselves. So they're missing the booger on their forehead. They're not seeing themselves and being deceived. They're just not seeing themselves all at all except a quick pep talk twice a month. And we're not actually gaining the wisdom of God for practical living. We're not seeing ourselves for who we are, really are. We're not seeing God for who he is and what he's calling us to and how to live and how to navigate relationships and how to navigate my marriage and navigate my business and navigate living in a world that is today. And then I think there's another issue 
that there's a lot of people in the church today that are gluttons for wisdom. We have more in today's church, in the modern church in America, more resources at our fingertips than ever before in the history of church. You can go to YouTube right now and watch any pastor from any place, from anywhere around the world. You can read any audio book. You're not reading, you're listening to it. But you can read, there's thousands of self-help books. If you're so audacious that you can't actually read the Bible, you have an app that will read it to you. And there's a lot of people that are loving, like, man, that's awesome, that's good. I've been around the church, and maybe you've been around the church, and you know every answer. And when people ask, it fills your cup because you know the answer to tell them. And we know all this stuff. We know what to say and what not to say, where to go, what not to do. But all the while, we're not doing anything with it. Just gobbling it up. Ooh, that's good, Jim. I want to remember that later. He said a Greek word there. Let me write it down. then when we leave, are we doing anything with it? Or are we just being hearers and not doers with the gathered wisdom that we're attaining all the time? Because what I said from the very beginning is mature faith is a faith that seeks God's wisdom. But I want to I say on that, mature faith is a faith that seeks God's wisdom and does something with it, and lives it. So maybe, maybe you're here today, and you might just be here today, and you need to start seeking God for his wisdom. Maybe you're, you're, you would apply as a double-minded person. You wouldn't say that out loud, but you'd be like, yeah, I'm not really trusting God with every area of my life. I only kind of go to him when I need him. I'm te- treating him like a vending machine, that when things go south, I kind of ask him for wisdom, but in the meantime, I'm not really giving him all of my life and trusting him with it, with the practical wisdom of God. Or maybe you're here and you're like, man, I, I just, I'm not going to the Lord. I, I'm not asking the Lord. I'm not seeking the Lord. If I was honest, it's been months since I cracked open my Bible. I, I'm not practically gleaning the wisdom of God. Or maybe you're here, you're like, man, I just glean all the time. But there's a lot of ways. There's some ways that I really need to step in and step forward. I shared this in the first service. I wasn't going to it. I just thought about it. I was in my office for a few minutes before the first service with Kim. And I asked him, I said, Kim, how did you end up on the mission field? And uh, I love hearing the stories of how God leads people. And he said, you know, Jim, I was a very young age. And I felt the calling of God on my life to be a missionary. But it wasn't until my 40s till I submitted and went. And I was like, man, that's, that's so much my story. I knew at a young age, God called me to ministry, and I fought it with everything I had, even to the point of, try, of getting kicked out of college so, I didn't, so I'd be unqualified, not wanting to. And, and I just wonder if there's people here, you already know the practical wisdom of God in your life, what you need to do, how you need to step, the direction you need to go, the relation you need to break off, the repentance you need to give, the reconciliation that needs to go forward, but you're just unwilling to be a doer and step in in obedience. Maybe that's you. Wherever you are, know that the grace of God is there to meet you as you step in. 
God's, God's calling you. He's wooing you. He wants to be there with you. And, and I'd invite you to stand to your feet. I'm going to invite the, the band to come up, and I'm going to pray in a moment. And, and we just want to sing a song. You probably know it super well. It's called Be Thou My Vision. And practically, I want you to sing this from your heart, that if you believe it, that God would be your vision, whatever that looks like for you and how you find yourself in the word of God today, that we would pray, God, be my vision. I want your wisdom. I don't want the world's wisdom. And whatever we're navigating in life circumstances, God, I want you to go before me. I want you to guide me. I want you to lead me as we step out this week. Would you stand your feet and pray? God, thank you uh, for James, for your word, for the practicality of it, God. What a what a blessing the book of James has been to me in my lifetime in, in sharing things with me and just super practical things of when not to speak and learn to listen more, to seek you for wisdom. Help us to be a, a church, God, that is in that posture of just wisdom that you are, you're so good. Actually, you've given us um, an entire road uh, map, an entire manual for life in the word of God. And then on top of that, you gave us the voice, the spirit of God to, to indwell us, to lead and guide us and direct us along that road map. Help us to be people that actually need you, that actually long for your wisdom in good times as we long to walk with you in rough times while we're on the mountaintop and things are going super well and our business is flourishing and our marriage is great and our family is well established and all is well. Help us to be people that seek your wisdom, that when we're in the valley times, God, we'd be a people that already knows your wisdom and we continue to long for it and you'd lead and guide and direct us because you're there with us as well. And even as we declare, God, may our heart, wherever it is and whatever place in life we need your practical wisdom, would this be a prayer of our heart as we call out to you, be thou our vision, Lord. We want not the ways of the world, the, the wisdom of the world. We want you, Lord. Take us from this place to be doers of your word, walking in step with you, fulfilling the wisdom that you've given us in practical action. It's in your powerful name, Jesus, we pray. Would you be our vision? Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.